Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So we're in Esther 9 and verse 1 where the Jews destroy their tormentors. Now in the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. Wow. There it is. It spun the other way. It didn't go the way Haman wanted. They had victory over their enemies. But I want us to look at what they had to do. They didn't just sit around did they? It says in verse 2, what? The Jews, what? Gathered together. They gathered together. The day of Haman's murderous decree has arrived, but to be able to withstand annihilation day, they had to assemble to be strong. I'm just showing you the equation in in the word, okay? Esther 9 and 3. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Wow, God is really lifting Mordecai up. He's lifted Esther. Now look at Mordecai. But any enemy, anybody that considered attacking just the Jews, we hate the Jews, we're attacking the Jews, they now also had to battle the king's officials, satraps, governors, and all those doing the king's work. This got really big really quick against the bad guy. But I want to define what a satrap is, because I know you saw that and thought, okay, satrap, whatever. (laughs) Okay, here's what a satrap is. A satrap is someone who had authority over military forces to maintain order in the land. They actually had an area, you keep this place secure, keep it right, and here's the military you command to make sure it stays that way. And so when you see that satraps also helped the Jews, then that meant the entire empire, the military, fought with the Jews. So good. Now, you can just see how impossible it is for the Jews' enemies to win. They can't win. It's too big against them. God fights for his people, right? I take comfort in that. Esther 9 and 5. 
Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. And in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Now, y'all bear with me here. I'm texting, okay? Verse 7, also Parshandatha, Delphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aridatha, Parmashta, Arisai, Eridai, and Vajisatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. They did not plunder. Now, this is an important detail here that the Jews took no plunder. That was all over Haman's mind. Plunder, 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 plunder. That's what he wanted. They took none of it. Because if they did, then they would have looked just like Haman. And they refused to bear any resemblance at all to that wicked man. Remember, Haman's original decree said not only kill the Jews, but also plunder their possessions, steal all their property, take everything. To the Jews, this was not about self-gain. It's not about self-gain. Their reason for fighting was for the preservation of the Jewish people. Nothing more and nothing less. So Esther 9 and 11. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan the citadel was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the citadel and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. (laughs) A joyful king likes to give. A joyful king loves giving. Did you know that about God? He's joyful. He likes to give. All right? So he says, what is your further request? I just love it. It's like, you can't outgive me. I can outgive you. What more do you want? (laughs) It's great. We're getting a picture of what a loving and giving king looks like here. Now, it says that Haman's sons were killed. So what we're seeing also is an illustration of a king who is loving and giving, yet also who is just and and executes judgment in the same guy. Loving, what is your request, but also executing judgment on the wicked. God is like that in just one man. Haman's sons were killed. Now, I want to give you a little entry into a man's mind for a minute, if you don't know how men think. There is something about losing all your sons, it says. Now, we're not to diminish the loss of daughters, but losing all sons is a very threatening thought than just a man's own death. Not only did Haman die, but all his sons died, it says. Because men hold legacy with great importance. Legacy. Who is going to carry my name? Legacy. Men always have that on their mind. Within the last year, I've had a grandchild, and I know this means that the line of my name is going to be carried beyond just myself. I was very glad for that. Legacy means something to me. Now, my grandfather on my mother's side, he had no sons. He only had daughters. He had my mother and my aunt, and he had no sons to carry his legacy, uh, to carry his name. Now, his name was Raymond, 
And so they named me Ray so that I could at least carry his first name. That's how I got my name. His legacy is very important in a man's mind. It's a great honor for a man to hand something of himself down through his family. And I believe that this concept even fits into the gospel message that Father God hands down to us his own Holy Spirit when he adopts us into his family line. And it's a great honor to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit living under the Lord's legacy with Father God as our Father. And so legacy is a point of honor in a man's mind. And so any man who would have read about Haman's sons, all of them being killed, it didn't mention daughters, I'm sure he had daughters, but it said all his sons were killed. That Any man reading that would have recognized that not only was Haman's life taken from him, not only was Haman's honor of wealth taken from him, but also even the honor of his ancestral line was taken from him. That's how men would have seen this, especially in that day. And so knowing that Haman's line was cut off forever is one of those things that just shocks a man's mindset even more than the thought of losing his own life. Well, you may take my life, but at least my legacy. No, you lost your legacy, Haman. God stripped all of it away. You remember in chapter 5, Haman bragged about his wealth and about all his children? Remember? He was thinking about his honor. That's all he wanted was honor. And the reason Haman grouped his wealth and boasting about his children together in the same bragging is because that's where he held his honor. He held his honor in all his money, his stature, and his children, and God took all of it away because he was wicked and they were wicked too. God took it all, all of his honor away through the commands of King Ahasuerus. And so we're watching a king, King Ahasuerus, execute justice while at the same time granting love-driven requests, what is your further request? Because he loves Esther. He has to judge those who are wicked, and God has to, would like to give grant requests, giving love to those whom he loves. God is like that, and we're getting to see that picture in King Ahasuerus. Esther 9 and 13. Then Esther said, If it pleases the king... Let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again, (laughs) to do again tomorrow, according to today's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. (laughs) Esther just asked for a one-day extension. Can we extend that decree another 24 hours? Can we do it again? Haman's decree only had power for a single day to kill the Jews on the 13th day in the month of Adar. Esther and Mordecai's decree also had just one day, but now Esther asked for a bonus day for the Jews. This means that when the king fights for you, you don't just get victory, you get abundant victory. That's what he's giving, abundant victory. So good. But Esther asked for Haman's sons to be hanged. Wait wait a minute. I thought they were dead in verse 7 through 10. I thought they were dead. Why are we hanging them? (laughs) Do y'all think like me? Because I was wondering that. Hang them? They're, They're already gone. Why hang them? Okay. Here's why. Haman built the gallows 75 feet high. That's tall. You don't need 75 feet to hang a six foot tall guy. 
You don't need that much. But he hung it. He did it really high because Haman wanted to publicly put Mordecai to death, and he wanted everybody to see it. Why do you build gallows that tall to make an example out of somebody? That's why. To make an example out of them. To make a statement that says, this is how wickedness is dealt with here. That's why it was that tall. This is what we do with this kind of wickedness. Look. And so, yes, Haman's sons are dead, but hanging them on the gallows would make two very visible statements. The two statements are, one, don't come against the Lord's people, the Jews. And two, the evil that you try to put on them can very well come back on yourself. That's the two big warnings. And this is why Esther wants to hang Haman and his sons who are already dead. Make an example out of them for the benefit of the safety of the Jewish people. Again, this shows us a king who is granting requests to those he loves while executing judgment against the wicked at the same time. Esther 9 and 14. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again. Do you all see that? We've already heard this once, gathered together. They gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Verse 16, the remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together, here we go again, assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th, and on the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Guys, victory of two days. Two days of victory. They originally only planned for one. Did you know that when you only plan for so much, God can give you more than that? (laughs) Abundant victory. Victory for two days because Esther requested it. Guys, you don't have because you don't ask. Two days of victory. And they didn't keep fighting for three days. Remember, they didn't want to plunder. They wanted peace. Oh, guys, we're on a roll. Let's get out there and fight some more. We got to get some stuff. No. Job's done. Stop. Enjoy the rest. Enjoy the peace. They didn't want plunder. They wanted peace. And so they feasted and they were glad, which was an expression of thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thankfulness for what the God has done because they now have peace. Rest from their enemies who have long hated them. Esther 9, 19. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. Wow, this sounds like a great time. We're finally rid of these guys who have been just bullying us and just pestering us and stealing from us. And now we get to celebrate. But why do you think the Jews of, quote, unwalled towns, as it says, celebrated with such happiness, even to the point of sending gifts to one another? You know, a walled city is protected. But living in an unwalled town, it made them easy victims. It made them an easy target. 
They are so used to being stolen from that, man, it feels good to give a gift today. I've been had everything taken away from me. It feels good for somebody to give me something for once. That was their, their thankfulness that they did. You know, I'm sure they were tired. I mean, fed up with being pushed around because they didn't have any defense. So imagine what a great day this was for the Jews of unwalled cities. For They've been easy prey, but now the Jews of unwalled towns, they were tired, they were weary, they were drained. You ever been like that? You're just tapped out. I have nothing more left. I'm tired. But now they have rest. They have rest because the king granted it to them. Esther 9 and 20. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast pure, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim, after the name Pure. Therefore, because of all the words of, his, of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter, and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants, look, there's legacy, upon themselves and their descendants, and all who would join them, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. I saw legacy several times in here. It says that they're not forgotten descendants. Their line, they get to keep all that. It's, it's, it's a joyful thing. Now, why did Mordecai say they should celebrate Purim for two days? Because they were given two days of abundant victory over their enemies. You don't celebrate a two-day victory for just one day. You celebrate a two-day victory for two days, okay? Besides, it's more fun. It lasts longer. <laughs> Party for two days. Haman's line was cut off. We saw legacy in verse 28. It says, the memory of the Jews should not perish among their descendants. God saved the Jews' lives. He saved them, and he allowed them to save their honor through their family that Haman would have tried to take away. Haman wanted to kill all of them. He didn't just want to kill the adult Jews. He wanted to kill all of them, even the young ones. Esther 9 and 29. 
Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them, and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Now, I love verse 30. It says they sent these letters with words of peace and truth. They worded it with peace and truth. Easy words to to read. And the reason that they did this is because they know that the Jews have been terrified and hurt for a very, very long time by the language of hatred and the language of lies that was in Haman's letter. And so Esther and Mordecai needed to word their letters in a language that expressed hope and love and comfort so that the Jews would quickly receive it. You don't just write up a lawyer-sounding letter and say, here you go, you should be fine. Put some compassion in that. And so they wrote with peace and truth. And so it says, uh, their peace and truth, verse 32 says that then they put these words were also put in the book. The book. That means they put it in the royal record of the land that says Purim is here to stay because it was written in the book. Once it goes in the book, you can't get it out of the book. That means this is established. This is now how it is. It's in the book. Esther 10, verse 1. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might, and the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So, chapter 10, once again, it confirms that it's all written in the book. It's all done. This is now going to be the way it is. It's in the book. You know, and I love it when the good guys come out on top. I love it when the good guys win. (laughs) And under Father God, under the Lord God of Israel, the good guys win. God is full of love and justice. Love and justice, that's how they won. Love for those who were righteous and justice for those who were being wicked. He had to execute judgment on them. Now, if you read Psalm 9, David speaks of how God had mercy on him by executing judgment on his enemies. That's one reason. It wasn't just David was so awesome. God executed judgment on his enemies. So God showed love and judgment, and that's how he protects his people. Now, with enemies comes warfare. And that's not just back in that day. You have warfare, don't you? I, I know you do. You're breathing, you have warfare. <laughs> With enemies comes warfare. And so again, we're asking now that we read, how were the Jews able to stand against their enemy? Several times we read that the Jews gathered together. They gathered together. They gathered together.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.